Good evening, Newark family, and welcome back once again to our live Wednesday night Bible study. Today is December 2nd, 2020, and we are excited to have you joining with us. If you are a first-time guest, welcome to those of you who regular view our broadcast. You know that just a few days ago, we started a new series talking about Christmas. And so we're going to continue in that vein tonight. And if our Bible study teacher can go ahead and come on screen now. I think he's working on joining us. Are you there? Hey, yeah. there we you weren't going to leave me hanging to do this one by myself. Oh, you're more, than, it off the top. You're more than capable. There's not a problem. Yeah, I just am not ready for it. I'd prefer not to that way. Besides, I'm looking forward to hearing you. So without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Stephen, who is going to continue our discussion on this journey through Christmas. And I, along with another guest, will be joining you in a little while for the question and answer session. All right. Good evening, everyone. We're going to try a new setup here. And uh, if you're wondering whose uh, picture this is, Nick, I need your permission. I'm glad you just gave it to me. Thank you, bro. This is one of Nicholas Horn's pictures. And uh, I liked it and stole it from him. So anyway, that's just a placeholder. I'm going to be sharing some things with you in the broadcast. Uh, before I begin tonight, uh, we are in the Christmas season, and we are in the midst of a series called The Journey of Christmas, and uh, that is the official title. You will hear all of us use various permutations of the title, such as The Journey to Christmas, The Journey from Christmas, The Journeys of, For, and By Christmas. Who knows? We all bobble the, bobble the title all over the place, but the official one is The Journey of Christmas, and specifically, if you've ever thought about it, we want to draw your attention to how much movement there is within the story of Christmas. There's a whole lot of movement. And we want you to think about it in terms not only of physical geographical movement, though there's a massive amount of that, but also we want you to think of it in terms of different dynamics of people, their emotions, how they're interacting, movement of knowledge, revelation. There's just a lot of movement within the story. But before I jump into that tonight in our Bible study and in my part within this series, let me remind you in this Christmas season, we have for a number of years uh, engaged in something that helps us keep our focus upon what Christmas is really all about. Uh, my understanding is, is that on Monday, we set new records on how much we bought as Americans online. I forget how many billions of dollars it was. It was massive. It's a commercial time, and I'm not, I'm not trying to rain on anybody about giving gifts and being kind and generous to your family, to your friends, to even strangers. But in this season, it's easy for us Americans to get very greedy, to get very focused upon us. And so that's why we do our Christmas giving service. And this year, it's going to be a little bit different. It'll be a drive-through, so we won't be able to see everybody. And uh, at, at the same time, uh, we're going to have to stay socially distanced. In fact, we need you to stay in your cars. We're going to have things set up so that you're able to do so. But I want to encourage you that you would be in prayer as in preparation for December 13th and our Christmas giving service. All of the money that we give goes to World Missions. It goes outside of Newark UPC. But it helps us over the years keep Christmas in its right place. And the basic thing I want you to think about is whatever you're doing for Christmas, make sure that Jesus is getting a bigger gift. In other words, he gets the best gift. And uh, if that's monetary and you can tally that up, then do so. But otherwise, just make sure that Jesus is the birthday boy. 
And uh, when we keep our focus on others rather than what we're receiving, we've found over the years that it just keeps our spirits and our attitudes right, and it makes Christmas much, much better. One more further note, which is if you prefer in this season to still give digitally as opposed to bringing a check or cash, you can do that and then just simply bring your card or bring whatever that you normally bring, and you can just kind of put a note in there, I gave digitally, and we'll pick that up through Rebel Give. And so that's available to you as well. All right, let me jump into the lesson tonight. And uh, has anybody ever wondered why some of the Gospels have the Christmas story and some don't? Now, if you sit down and you think about it, here's a test, here's a pop quiz. I can't see the chat. I won't be able to know who made it or who didn't, but which Gospels contain at least a portion of the Christmas story and which Gospels contain none of it? All right, I'm going to pause for just a moment, give you a minute in the chat to pop it out. Which Gospels? Now, I'll help you out while you're thinking. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Of those four Gospels, which of those Gospels Maybe it's one, maybe it's none, maybe it's all four. No, it's you know it's not all four. We have a story of Christmas. Which ones do not contain any of the story of Christmas? Now, biblical scholars, while you're typing that out, we actually don't call it the story of Christmas. We call it the birth infancy narrative. So narrative means a section within that larger story. And so there are two gospels, for those of you that are moving slowly, I just give you, there are two Gospels that actually contain a birth infancy narrative. In fact, both of those Gospels also contain a genealogy. They're the only Gospels that contain a genealogy, a family tree, if you will, of, the, of Jesus, of Mary, of her espoused husband, Joseph. So there's something about these two Gospels that they had a had an interest, and uh, the other two did not. So for those of you that have been a little slow, I'm going to bail you out right now. John has nothing of the birth infancy narrative, absolutely nothing. And John, in fact, as a Gospel, is very, very different than the other three. In fact, so different, and the other three are so alike that the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are known as the synoptic Gospels. Basically, two words, sin or soon, meaning with, and optic, meaning with an eye. So they look the same, all right? So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptics. John is a totally different bird. And uh, here, I'll if Jeff Brickle ever listens to this, my great friend and nemesis, um, I always say it's an inferior gospel, but I'm really lying because John is an amazing gospel, and I love John. But don't tell Jeff I said that. All right, so the synoptics are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They all tell a story that looks very similar. However, as you already know, one of them does not have the birth infancy narrative, and that is none other than the Gospel of Mark. Mark, in fact, is the shortest gospel of all four gospels. It is the most compact, and it has a unique take. Now, here's where I'm going to go a little geeky on you for just a minute. I'm not going to stay there very long, but scholars began to recognize that there was some kind of a connection between these Gospels. And so they noticed something. They noticed that Matthew and Luke both contained whole sections of Mark verbatim, word for word. Okay? But then they also noticed that there were 
things in Matthew and Luke that agreed 100% with one another that were not in any way found in Mark. And so they called that, and people like to make fun of this, Q, which actually comes from the German word, quelle, which is actually just source. So it's actually, scholars don't think it's an actual document, despite all the fun that people have at their expense. They don't actually think it's an actual document. There might have been a document. There might have been multiple documents, but we don't have any of that. All we know is that Matthew and Luke agree with one another, just like they do with sections from Mark. They also agree with one another in sections that are not in Mark, and those sections have come to be known as Q. We don't have that source. We don't know where it is. We don't know if it actually existed as a single source. All right. Now, then what there is also, and there I'm going to show you two different pictures here. And Desi, I believe I texted you a document. If I didn't, I will. Uh, I should have texted you already. And I'm going to, everybody hang tight, hang tight. Here we go. Here we go. I meant to do something. And Desi needs it because he's going to post for you links. So Desi, go check your text. You have a document with some links in it that you can post that actually have these images. So the first image is this one. It's also called the two-source hypothesis. Notice it's an hypothesis. All right, the four-source hypothesis takes into account that not only are there whole sections in Matthew and Luke that agree 100% with Mark. That's why they're all green. There are also sections in Matthew and Luke that agree 100% with Q. But there's also things that are unique to only Luke, and there are things that are unique only to Matthew. And they're many times called the Lucan sources or the Matthew sources. Here's another way to put it. Let me make that a little bigger for you. So the idea is, is that Mark was the first gospel to be written. And for some reason, and here I'm coming back from geekdom and, and coming back to our topic tonight, for some reason, Mark did not choose to include any of the birth infancy narrative. If we had only the gospel of Mark, we would not have any of our Christmas story. Not a, not a bit of it, okay? Because Mark didn't include it. In fact, I know the beginning of Mark, having Bible quizzed on it, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight, boom, we're introduced to John the Baptist, and then on to Jesus. Nothing. Jesus just kind of pops onto the scene, a full-grown 30-year-old man. Well, we all know that People don't just pop onto the scene 30 years old and grown. Where'd he come from? How did it all happen? We don't have that from Mark, but Matthew and Luke both do. And by the way, they're not coming from Q either. And so the stories of Matthew and Luke don't look the same with regard to Christmas because they're drawing on different sources. And uh, here's another interesting one. Desi, you can uh, post the link to this one. Folks can go and check this out. But this actually shows, this is very detailed, and I'm going to spend about five more seconds on it, showing you how the things that they agree on, that they drew from Mark, the things that they agree with one another, and also things that are unique to Matthew, and where things that are unique to Mark and Luke, and they agree in contrast to the others. So the bottom line is, is it looks to us, let me go back to a simpler chart. It looks to us like Mark may have been the first gospel to be written. Matthew and Luke drew upon Mark, but they decided to do something more than Mark. 
And so they drew on a number of different sources. Now, let me give you a biblical back background for this. Luke, which is the gospel I'm going to draw my attention to tonight in the Christmas narrative, actually tells us that that's what he's doing. He says many people, Luke writes and says, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So you'll notice the way the NLT puts it is they used eyewitness reports circulating among us. So the original scriptures of the gospel, the story of Jesus, were verbal. They were shared verbally, and this is a verbal society. you got to understand a very small percentage, and I'm talking very small percentage, of people read in the ancient days. And so this was, you told stories around the campfire. You told stories around the kitchen table. You told stories as you're sitting outside. And so these eyewitness reports circulated, and Luke said, I drew on all of these different reports. And I would assume that Matthew did the same, because Luke and Matthew each give us a part of the gospel story that the other two gospels do not give us. And Luke gives us a different portion than what Matthew gives. So they clearly made choices about what sources they were going to bring to us. Now, you already heard in, uh, I believe it was Meg's lesson on Elizabeth, you already heard about the first part of Luke's gospel. He decides to start the Christmas story with the story of John the Baptist. No surprise, that's what Mark did. However, what he brings us is not the story of John the Baptist and his camel's hair and eating you know, grasshoppers and, and, and preaching crazy. No, he decides to tell us the birth of John. And the birth of John is the most ordinary birth that you've ever seen, except for one detail. You've got a priest, and his wife, who also is of a priestly family. You've got them going about their ways as normal Jews. The priest has duties at the temple, and they are doing what is totally normal. You think you're in the Old Testament. You think you're back in the Old Testament times. And this, by the way, I think is why Luke starts there. If you read that first section, you have no idea that you are not simply reading another story from the Old Testament. And in one sense, it's even ordinary, the miraculous, because when the angel appears and tells uh, Elizabeth that she's going to have a child, when the angel appears to Zacharias in the temple and tells him that he's going to have a child, what is this? Well, I like to crassly say it's the old man and the old woman who can't have a baby and God does a miracle. This is not new to us either. This happens several times in the Old Testament. And so you are prepared listening and reading the beginning of Luke's story. In contrast to Matthew, Matthew, you hit the genealogy, and then immediately the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. And boom, he unfolds how the miraculous occurs. Not Luke. Luke starts with a miraculous birth to an old man and an old woman, yes, but it's a priest and his wife. They're in the temple. They're in Judea. Everything's kind of normal. Everything's what you expect in the Old Testament. But what happens is, is then he turns and he tells us of this young woman. And you heard that from Brother Moss, uh, I believe last night, talking about Mary and the journey of Mary and Joseph down to Bethlehem, etc. I'm going to pause that because my focus is a little different. So then when we go forward, it tells us, actually, I don't want to deal with that text right now. I want to fast forward. 
So they get to Bethlehem. You already heard that last night. The baby is born. And the scriptures tell us in Luke chapter 2, Luke writes to us from this sources that he's had from somewhere else that Mark chose not to use, that John chose not to use, and by the way, that Matthew chose not to use. This particular source, Matthew didn't use. The night, that night, there were shepherds. They were staying in the fields nearby. Nearby where? Nearby Bethlehem. They were guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. He said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior. Yes, the Messiah. That's the Hebrew term for it, the Mushiach, but actually the Greek word that Luke wrote was the Christos. The Lord, and that Greek word is the Kurios, the Master, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Now, here's what's amazing about this. God, in Luke's story, reveals the birth of Jesus first to shepherds. He reveals not to Mary's family. As you heard last night, Mary's family probably wasn't listening. He doesn't reveal it to the extended family. My father-in-law was very kind last night to Mary and Joseph's extended family. I personally think that Bethlehem already knew about Mary and Joseph. They knew about the problems of this baby, and that is why there was no place for them to stay. My father-in-law was very kind. The ancient world knew how to gossip just as effectively, if not more effectively, than our world today. News, I would submit, traveled fast. They already knew. Where Mary and Joseph were, I have no idea, but they were not, as would be expected with extended family. So the joy of a baby being born was not being revealed to the immediate family, which is what you would expect. It was not being revealed to the extended family, which is also what you would expect. No, it's revealed to complete strangers. And oh, by the way, they were the marginal people. They were the ones who smelled. They were the ones who were out in the fields watching sheep. If I've ever gone outside and I come inside, you understand my family is a house cat family. So we, we, we spend most of our time indoors. When I go outside and I come in, my kids, without fail, will go, who's been outside? Because there's a smell to the outside. And let me break the news to you. If I had sheep in the front yard, there would be an even stronger and more pungent smell to the outside. These boys were not popular. These boys were not people that you invited over for dinner because they smelled. They were always smelly. This was not the top of the pecking order on jobs. This was the bottom of the pecking order. This was outcasts. But to these angels, or excuse me, these shepherds appear a host of angels. And what do they say? Here's where it's something powerful. And I think this is one of the reasons why Luke includes this in his birth infancy narrative. Because Luke, and I won't go into it in depth tonight, but Luke uses the word kurios or Lord to reveal Jesus as God. 
because in Hebrew, the term that the Israelites used for God, which they would not say, is Yahweh. In their place, they would use the word Adonai because they didn't want to take the name of the Lord in vain. Adonai means Lord or Master in Hebrew, and its Greek equivalent is Kurios. So all through the beginning of chapter 1, whenever you heard God being referred to, it's either the word Theos or the word Kurios. Remember, it's a Jewish context. It's a Jewish story. It's, it's, it's a priest and his wife, and it's a miraculous baby being born to an old man and old woman who can't have a baby. Now, the God that was Yahweh or Adonai is now a baby. And the first time that he's introduced to us as a baby, he's introduced to us in an announcement made by angels. We've already seen angels announce John's birth. We've seen an angel, excuse me, an angel announce John's birth and an angel announce Jesus' birth to Mary. But they were not yet born. They were perhaps conceived, but not yet born. Now, the baby is born, and the first time he's announced, he's announced as being the Savior. He's announced as being the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christos, but he's announced as being the Lord. The same term that all through the story thus far, and all through the Old Testament in Greek, this is Yahweh. So in other words, the angels announce to shepherds too dumb to question. And I think that's significant. They announce a miracle that the shepherds were too dumb to question. Shepherds, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. It'll bring joy to all the people because the Savior, the Anointed One, the Lord, has been born today. Now, the theologians would have immediately gone, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, choir, pipe down, I need to ask a question. Yahweh has no beginning and Yahweh has no end, or they would have said, Adonai, the Lord has no beginning and has no end. How can he be born? This is not possible. The shepherds were too dumb to know this. They just took the angel at the word. Today he's been born in the city of Bethlehem, the city of David, the Lord. And because every baby looks almost alike, you'll know that it's a baby because you're going to find him wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Now, there's a lot of discussion about what a manger is. I don't want to get into that tonight, but I will tell you that it was not where you normally put a baby. You're going to know that the Lord has been born because he's going to be where everybody doesn't expect him to be just like you all are the ones we're announcing it to where everybody would not expect the announcement to come to you. Now notice our theme of journey. Immediately, so the angels come from heaven to announce to the shepherds. Now the shepherds, they head in to Bethlehem. The angels join together. They sing the song, glory to God in the highest heaven, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And the shepherds say to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, wait a minute. I thought the Lord was born. Well, he was. But he had also sent his angels to announce what had happened. And so then, verses 16 through 20, they hurried to the village. They found Mary and Joseph. There was the baby lying in the manger. 
After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I know we always read that like, oh, and we do our Christmas plays and like, oh, that's so great. No, 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 no. I don't think that's what the astonished was. I think they looked at these shepherds and said, you guys are nuts. I think they didn't believe. Because number one, the announcement was not believable. Just like Joseph had to hear from an angel in order to believe that this child in Mary was actually of the Almighty. And it was coming through a source that was unexpected. Now, this is a total side note, and I'm only going to give you 30 seconds of this. But God's messages are many times unbelievable. That's why they require faith. And they will usually come through messengers who it's easy to dismiss. By the way, if you feel a call to be one of God's messengers, you should not expect to be popular. People don't tend to believe his messengers. They stone the prophets. They don't believe. Well, I don't think the shepherds were believed either. But Mary, Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. My father-in-law spoke of that last night, of how she knew what was going on. And the shepherds, they went back to their flocks. They glorified and praised God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Now, here's what's really amazing about this. I told you that this passage here in chapter 2, that this is the first place that Jesus is announced. And it is. This is the first time that the baby Jesus is announced. We have an announcement by the angel to Mary. But again, he was in the womb and perhaps just conceived. Angel does speak in terms of the Almighty has over, will overshadow you, so it, it might be it's not yet conceived. And so there's a, there's a timeline thing there that the story is not specific about. But here's what's interesting and I want to take you back to. Because when Mary receives this information about that the angel has told her that she's going to bear a child, and it's uh, not by Joseph, it's by the Almighty, she then immediately runs to a place, and maybe she already knew, she runs to a place that she thinks can understand. She goes to Elizabeth. And when she arrives at Elizabeth, she hurries to the hill country of Judea. She goes to the town where Zechariah lived. She enters the house and she greets Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth is already several months pregnant. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaps within her and the scriptures say Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what's significant is not the idea of filled with the Holy Spirit. Did she speak in tongues? I'm not going to there. But what I want you to see is that the Holy Spirit has descended upon Elizabeth. It is present. And I would argue that prophetically, just as we understand the Holy Spirit connected with prophecy, Elizabeth gives a glad, a glad cry and she exclaims to Mary, now pay attention to what she says, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. And then she makes a statement. Now, remember, what's the context? Jewish man, Jewish woman, can't have a child. Old man, old woman, they have a child miraculously. The temple, they're Jews, they're priests. She says, why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord, and you got to understand, that is the equivalent of saying, why am I so honored that the mother of Yahweh, she'd never say that because she wouldn't say that word, in Hebrew, she would have said the mother of my Adonai. But if she spoke Greek, and the text that this is being written in, Luke's text, is in Greek, the mother of my kurios, the mother of my Lord, 
should visit me. Once again, there's a question. Wait a minute, excuse me. God isn't born. God has no beginning, God has no ending. So what's she talking about? She would have never thought of this on her own. She could never think of this on her own. And in fact, I'm not even sure if it dawned on her what she had quite said. She went on to say, when I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed what that the Lord, notice, same way the shepherds did, the Lord. Who's the Lord? The Lord is Yahweh. The Lord is Adonai. He's the God of Israel, would do what he said. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is the first time that we meet Jesus after having been conceived. Or to put it in these terms, it's Jesus in utero. He's in the womb. He has been conceived, and Elizabeth, by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, calls out and said, why am I so honored that the mother of, of God, the mother of the Lord, would come to me? These two verses are part of what sets up. This along with, excuse me, I'm hopping on the screen there, this verse here to the shepherds, and that verse there, speaking from Elizabeth, is what sets up no less than about a hundred occasions throughout the Gospel of Luke in which the word kurios, or Lord, is used, and the majority of them are progressively revealing who Jesus was. Put simply, that little baby wrapped in strips of cloth, pushed out of Mary's womb, pain, suffering, blood, was God become one of us. Matthew cut to the chase in his birth infancy narrative and says, they'll call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. What's significant is, is Mary and Joseph, as we heard last night, made a journey to Bethlehem. And when they got there, they were rejected by the town, either knowingly or unknowingly because they had no place to stay. And in that space of rejection is where Jesus was born. Oh, I could keep going a long way because this story is a story that God meets people not in the places of power, but in the places of rejection. And he reveals himself to people who have themselves been rejected, who are innocent enough, and faith believing enough to accept the message, a miraculous message, a message that none other than God himself was born in Bethlehem. All right, Desi, that's all I got time for. It's 7.31. I already ran over by a minute. Let's open it you up can, for questions. So I threw it out there for people to submit questions, but while we're waiting for people to come, if you've got, I don't know, two, three minutes worth of other wrap-up thoughts, something that popped in your head that you went, oh, I wish I had time to say this. Well, I'm giving you two, three minutes. All right. Well, here's the other picture I'm playing. Uh, Nick, I need your permission to show this one as well. Yeah, Pretty that's cool a pictures. Picture. Actually, he's taking some great pictures, so I steal them whenever he does, whenever he takes them online. So I'll leave that one up just to kind of give you something to pretty look at. Um, what I shared with you uh, tonight is just a snippet. It's the Christmas story part a snippet of what I did my dissertation on in my PhD program. So I actually wrote uh, over 200 pages looking at, book. I'm sorry. 
A small book. Yeah, a small book, yes. Uh, about how Luke uses this single word, Lord, in order to keep showing to um, Theophilus and all others who read the gospel that this Jesus was none other than God. And here's where my good friend John, uh, good friend Jeff Brickle, he has a great gospel to study, namely John. And we go to John all the time for the oneness of God. You know, I and my father are one. When you have seen me, you have seen the father. But I would sincerely argue to you, and Jeff in his more honest moments would agree with me, that we have missed the power of oneness, understanding that it was not some second person of the Godhead or some, some portion of God, but the fullness of Christ. The fullness of God was in Christ, was in the Lord, that Jesus was God with us. Luke is a powerful, powerful testimony to that. And what's amazing to me is the power of that testimony, which I did not have time to go into tonight. It opens up with an old woman who herself is experiencing a miraculous birth that hardly anybody can believe ecstatically recognizing him in the womb of her cousin. And then it being announced to shepherds. It's amazing to me that something so powerful, God chose to literally tell it on the backside of a hill. He didn't announce it on billboard. He didn't go to Rome. He didn't go to Babylon. He didn't go to Alexandria, Egypt. He didn't go to... Uh, Damascus or, or to Antioch in Syria. He didn't go to major city. Now, he went to the backside of a Judean hill and he found a bunch of grubby, stinky, smelly shepherds. And he said, hey guys, you want to know something? Something amazing just happened. And the whole world doesn't know it. But if you'll go look for a baby out of place, you can worship the Lord, the Christ, the Savior. And that's amazing to me. That's amazing to me that God chose to reveal this massive miracle of the word made flesh, as John would put it. And he tells it to a bunch of shepherds, smelly, stinky, old, ignorant shepherds on the backside of a hill who had enough faith, just because an angel told them to, to leave their sheep, which was a no-no, and go check it out, and then go back to their sheep, and praise God. I would love to know, Desi, and I do not, we don't have it within the story. Luke didn't save it, Matthew, Mark, none of them did. wonder what happened to those shepherds. I wonder, I wonder if they ever came in contact with Jesus. I wonder if Jesus ever, in all of his journeys, took a walk through that hill as a man to find those shepherds, to sit and eat with them, maybe not even tell them who he was, I just wonder, can't, can't unpack it any further than that, but I just wonder. All right, I'm going to stop sharing. Okay, so I'm coming back on, and then we have one more person who's going to go ahead and join us. As you know, we've got this digital campus broadcast, and no, you're not seeing a younger version, but you are seeing an heir, as in a child of a Beardsley, an adult child. So we are Whoa. glad to have so Vincent. Vincent. Vincent's here, so I can just kind of... <laughs> Stephen Beardsley is going to handle all your questions now. All right, Dr. Beardsley. 
So we're glad to yeah, have I'm them on the broadcast with us. We are beginning to include other people in our digital campus broadcasts who are helping us with some back-end things. Vincent has graciously agreed to come onto our live broadcast. And so I am going to interact a little bit with Stephen and, and throw out just a comment. And then I'm going to turn it over to Vincent, and he's going to field your questions tonight. So I think it's interesting, um, Stephen, and you've really made this clear tonight as we talk about the shepherds, but I also think even with Elizabeth, you know, with this this older woman who's past the prime of having a child with Mary, this younger cousin who is not married yet and yet is all of a sudden pregnant with child. We have and she's not from royal lineage in the sense that she's nobility or something like that. These very plain, if I can use the word average, normal people who are all in this this gospel story and in this birth infancy narrative. And I don't want to take too much from the questions, but I just want to point out, it's interesting if we just do a nice slow read, and that's my candy stick. When we do a slow read, you'll realize this doesn't sound like the story of a royal birth. Mm -mm. Not at all. This is a really weird royal birth story. Absolutely. Almost, almost seems like... Uh the phrase that we get folks my ways are not your ways mm -hmm. my thoughts are not your thoughts as high as the heavens are above the earth that's how far the distance is between how i think and operate and how you think and operate a god who has so much power that he doesn't need to display that power but rather demonstrates in weakness how very powerful he is that's another concept that he says to the apostle paul in your weakness, my strength is demonstrated. Mm -hmm. He's a baby. He's, I mean, you cannot be any more vulnerable than a baby. Yeah. And yep. yet God says, no, this is me. This is the most mighty creature. And oh, by the way, let me share it with some of the people who have, who have been ignored by society. Let me tell I, them. The people first. with the least access. I'm going to give them first access. Mm -hmm. And hey, I love my access. I traveled enough for a lot of years that I still a lot of times uh, can get can get, you know, first class at times when I'm flying and things like that. And oh, I love sitting in first class. I love first class. I love being able to get someplace first. I all of that kind of stuff. So by the way, folks, when you see me at a potluck and I eat last, that's not because I want to. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to demonstrate something there. I like being first. Well, it's ironic to me. It's very telling. The first people to actually see Jesus, besides his earthly father, Joseph, and his mother, Mary, and the donkeys and the cows or whatever was around there. Right. right. The first humans were smelly shepherds <laughs> who nobody wanted to pay any attention to. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. All right, so Vincent, do we have any questions or, or relevant comments that have been submitted yet that you'd like to share? We do. So uh, first, the first question is, you said that Elizabeth may not have understood what she was saying when she made that prophecy. So who do you think preserved that story if only Mary and Elizabeth were present? Ah, okay. So first of all, is I do think that either Mary or Elizabeth preserved the story. Now, if I'm going to handicap this out theoretically, first of all, Mary would have understood what she said. 
Because remember, Mary's already had the angel come to her and tell her. In her heart. Absolutely. So Mary, her entire thing about this stuff. Exactly. Her entire life, we see these little snapshots. There are very few of them, but there's these little snapshots that tell us that Mary is literally watching everything unfold with this knowledge that I had a baby appear in my stomach and an angel told me that baby was Yahweh. Adonai in my stomach. In my womb, but we'll take stomach. Yes. Your uh your nurse wife can correct you later. But I just think another quick example of that is when we jump forward to Jesus as an adult in John's gospels with his per- first public miracle, where he's at a wedding feast where you know his and it's almost like his mom has dragged him along or at least invited him, and something goes wrong at the reception. And she pulls him aside and says, and he basically says, this isn't my party. It's not my time. I don't have anything to do with this. And without missing a beat, I always thought it was interesting. She turns around and looks at the servants and says, do whatever he tells you to do and walks away. Typical Jewish mama. But she expected him. She knew. Well, it's kind of like the old joke, you know, Jewish, Jewish mom is back on the clothesline. My, 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 my son's a doctor. My son's a lawyer. Well, Mary always had the trump card. My son's God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but just as an example of how she, she had pondered these things throughout his, you know, rearing until he's an adult male. And so now when he does step onto a public scene, it's, it's mom was no issue with this. No doubts about it. She's the one that, who knew. Do, do whatever he says. Joseph had a measure of faith. Mm-hmm. Everybody else who believed in Jesus had a measure of faith. Mary had no measure of faith. It was a fact. No, she no. knew yeah. no man had lain with her. She knew that this baby was miraculous. She had seen the angel. Now, Joseph had seen an angel as well, but he didn't. He had to trust that. No, she had seen the angel. She had heard the words, the most high will overshadow you. It is the son of the most high that is within you. So I would argue, Vincent, in answering the question that Mary is the likely candidate for preserving this. And when we think about her pondering things in her heart, Mary may be a source for a massive amount of things that are within the gospels. But in like question- says openly at the beginning, you read it that he interviewed, he went around and asked first, Absolutely. first person examples um eyewitness narratives Absolutely. primary sources if you're a that's right and whether those had already been written down and therefore he's working with written sources or whether they were still in oral form the bottom line is is that luke gets i think them. it was a mixture of both for whatever right. it's worth but the reason i said what i said to whoever asked that question where i said elizabeth may not have known what she was saying is because we we do see the presence of the holy spirit infilling her and then that that expostulation comes out and so it looks to me like it could be prophetic words words spoken without knowledge but rather by revelation and uh because elizabeth there's no indication that elizabeth fully understands what's going on at that point or what is going on and and we see the spirit active in that story mary comes in elizabeth talks about the baby within her leaping Mm -hmm. Luke makes it clear that being filled with the spirit at that point, she then begins to proclaim or another word would be prophesy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Correct. All right. So another one is uh, Scott asked, is there any chance uh, that we could at some point get the full lecture of the two source hypothesis? Oh, the full lecture. Oh my goodness. 
That's my fault. I put in the comments towards the beginning because you're going fast and people were asking comments. And I said, well, to be fair, this is about a three hour lecture that he just tried to cram down to about seven minutes. Tell you what, Scott, you have access to a person that's extremely good at doing this (laughs) lecture. So why don't you ask him on your next phone call and he'll lay it out for you. I laid out as much as I felt I needed to get out for tonight. And by the way, everybody, remember, it's a theory. We do not know. We do not know. It makes a lot of sense to me because when you write things down, moving from an oral culture to a literate culture, you do tend to write shorter and then expand. So it makes a lot of sense to me that Mark, the shortest gospel, that's a fact. It's the shortest gospel that it it's a very strong contender for being the first gospel. And then the later gospels would either expand or spin off from it, deal with it differently, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what we see Matthew and Luke doing. And also what we see even John doing, but you can get all of the gory details. If you just speak to the, uh, in my screen, it's the person on the top left corner. I don't know how it is. I don't even know how I look. I'd have to go look at the actual live broadcast. Oh, I'm on the bottom. Look at that. Well, the guy on the bottom is who you want to talk to. So the next one is why don't the genealogies match in the different places in the gospels? Oh, in your see, opinion. See, you're going to make me go there. Why are you going to make me go there? I want to talk about shepherds. I want to talk about Well, we'll talk about Christ shepherds. The Lord. Can we I... tell them who asked that question? Or yeah, not? that one um uh mom threw that one at you. My mo- my wife said that. Oh, Regina, you live with me. Come on, stop it. All right. My honest opinion, I think they are they're using two different sources. That's the first thing. As I already said to you, Matthew and Luke are using different sources. They're using two different sources. Now, it could be they have two different sources that are slightly off, or it could be that they are two different sources. And in those sources, which is not made plain in the Gospels, they are actually two different theologies. They're emphasizing two different. And I can't remember which one. Desi, which one do we say is is, is more it makes more sense as tied to Joseph and one's makes more sense as tied to Mary. I can't remember which one it is on the fly off the top of my head. But that that's first point though, is two different sources. Second point is, is that even in those two different sources, there's a possibility that the reason that one source is they're preserving Mary's lineage and another source is preserving Joseph's. Ultimately uh, I think God leaves some of those things in there just so people like me and Desi and your mom, Vincent, can ask those questions and puzzle and our, we have to take it in faith don't we yeah we have to puzzle our beanie little brains over those those questions and we miss the larger point because the point of the genealogies in matthew it is to take him all the way back to adam and in luke is to take him back to king david so they had they had a larger purpose with that genealogy and their goal is not just to go read numbers the, the opening of numbers and then to see what you have in the gospels and you see it's something different. Yes, they're containing a genealogy, but their goal is not to present an entire ancestry.com family right. tree of the history of Jesus. Um, and this is a different discussion for another time, but you'll even say the father of, you know, that phrase, it, it can mean ancestor of, it could be father, grandfather, great grandfather. So you see, right. these are high points in the lineage of Jesus. It doesn't mean that this is an exact father to son, father to son, father to son, father to son, all the way through. Yeah, the the beginnings of the genealogies are the main point of the genealogies. And we miss that because we get all 
hung up and trying to make them match up. You're missing the point. The point is go back to the beginning of the genealogy and see what the gospel writer is trying to tie into. What are they emphasizing? Exactly. All right. So the next one isn't quite shepherds, but it's closer. Uh, it's why was it more significant that Jesus was born in a manger at night than in a palace or temple in the bright of day? Okay. So when too. Yes. So the first thing is, is I will acknowledge here in this question period that we don't even know what the manger is. Okay. Um, we have long made, and we even come to our Christmas giving service and we'll, we use a manger. It looks like something, you know, a trough that animals would eat. Sort of something to hold feed for an animal. Correct. But it, it could be any number of things. Okay. So we don't for sure know what a manger is. So, I, I'm sorry that I can't give you the specificity of what the manger is, but I can tell you that anyone reading the story, even without technical knowledge, you know that's not where a baby's supposed to be. And that, I think, gets back to the question that's being asked. The significance lies that Jesus, if he's the king of kings and lord of lords, if he's the king of the Jews, as the wise men in Matthew's Christmas story will tell, you know, will come and ask for, if he is none other than the almighty become a human, you would expect in human terms for that to happen in the appropriate place. And you'd expect it to be something significant. Absolutely. Much fanfare. High profile, much safety. You know, this is God descending to the earth. Well, God just turns it on its ear. Mm -hmm. He's born of a young girl from Galilee. You understand Galilee is the backwaters. Galilee is West Virginia. Galilee is Arkansas. Galilee is rural area. Is the Not uneducated yeah. rural. They are known by their brogue or by their accent. Peter, I know that you're one of his because of your accent. So Mary's not this highfalutin, important, educated, all these things. No, no, no. And then... She has a Cockney accent, if it was Britain. There you go. There you she go. doesn't sound like a royal. Yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. Those of you that... What's the what's the play that Marcus loves, uh, Vincent? The... Um, Oh, my fair lady. My fair lady, exactly. It's it's her, okay? And then the revelation occurs because Bethlehem actually is not too bad. It's not too far from Jerusalem. It's the city of David, etc. So Bethlehem, it's kind of a, a, a come up. But they're in Bethlehem. They're ostracized. They're not where they're expected to be. And then who is it first revealed to? Shepherds. Field workers. The outcasts. It's the it's the minimum wage workers. It's the it's the I'm West Coast boy, right? So it's your migrant population who there you go. are out there picking crops. Absolutely. You know, the people who pick strawberries and cabbages and other, you know, field laborer crops. Not that that's not important, but that's that's not who you would expect to be the first people invited to the birth of a royal. From the dominant culture, they were the unseen people. You didn't pay any attention to them. I'm not saying that's right, but what I'm saying is they weren't seen. And God goes, yeah. that's the ones. Let, let me let me let me show myself to them first. I think it's significant. I think it's also, by the way, significant to Luke's narrative, too, because Luke 
more than I would argue any other gospel, is in his own way, in his own time, breaking down all kinds of barriers. You see more women, you see more outcasts, you see more marginalized people in Luke's narratives than any of the other gospels. So he specifically picks it's his very much a theme in Luke, this idea that Jesus is spending time with and reaching for the people who are on the edges. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so the next one, you kind of spoiled your questions if you were trying to get all of these shepherds with that textual stuff at the beginning. Another question says, of all the stories that were recorded, presumably of this story, uh, by the many that were mentioned earlier, how many different variations were there? One can only assume that the story uh, varied, uh, uh, varied as it spread further away from the origin of the story. Yes, absolutely. And here's the deal. First of all, let's deal with a couple things. Number one, John tells us, and it's hyperbole, but I think it's not just hyperbole. The Gospel of John tells us that if everything that Jesus did was written down, the world could not contain the books that would be written. Now, that's hyperbole to say the world cannot contain the books, because it's a big world. Point is, there's a lot more stories than what we have. These are selected stories to emphasize a key point. And we know this because of Luke as well. Luke says, I've combed through it all, and I've written what he calls, and here, Desi could tell you, I have about an 30 to 45 minute lecture of talking about an accurate account. What was Luke an orderly, about? like a carefully yes. structured account. So he clearly is saying, I'm going to choose. I'm going to leave some out. I'm going to put some in. And when you compare the gospels, we know that they did exactly that. Matthew tells us about wise men, nothing about shepherds. Luke tells us about shepherds, nothing about wise men. Well, they clearly left stuff out. Now, some of it may be that they didn't have actual access to all of the sources. That's possible. They didn't interview everybody orally. That's possible as well. But the idea that they didn't have access to common sources, well, you already know by what I started with, they did. And yet they still made editorial decisions about what was going to stay in and what was not. Now, to the question writer's question of, were there permutations? Sure, there were. Absolutely. So what do we do with that? We trust that the Spirit of God preserved what he wanted preserved for us to know. I have a zillion questions that I'd love to know, but Scripture doesn't answer all of those questions. Mm -hmm. And so, but I trust that he's given me enough of the story, enough of the understanding to be able to then respond in faith and be obedient to the message of the gospel right. or the message of Paul. Paul probably wrote more letters than we have preserved. Peter, I'm sure, wrote more letters. There's more material, but it was not preserved. God never told us that everything got preserved. You know, when I was a kid, I remember, and it was probably an oversimplistic answer designed for a child to be a comfort, but being told, you know, like, the answers to all your questions are found in the Bible, and the Bible, you know, everything, blah, 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 and uh, some variation or permutation on this idea that you can answer all your questions in the gospel books, and that's a nice thought. It's not true. The gospel and the Bible writ large does not answer all of our questions. It tells us what we need to know. Because I, I have a question. Did Adam have a belly button? Yeah. Were and the Bible doesn't answer it. Sure. Right. So the point is not that the Bible answers all the questions and that we have all the details of the birth of Jesus. It's not the Gospels are more than a biography of the life of Jesus. They're very much a theological document. 
These are specifically preserved stories with a theological purpose. They're meant to teach us something about God and his interaction with us and his gospel, his good news of salvation mm -hmm. that he comes to bring us. It's not meant just to be a history of the life of Jesus. It's not a chronicle right. of what Jesus did. It's a summary of some key high points. And each of the four gospels highlights different items. Correct. All right. So another one, this one I like. Um, as Jews, Mary and Elizabeth were expecting the Messiah. So who did the Jews think the Messiah would be since they were monotheistic and weren't expecting another God? All right. Say that again to me. I want to listen. To so more. as Jews, Mary and Elizabeth were expecting the Messiah. So who did the Jews think the Messiah would be since they're monotheistic and weren't expecting some other God or God? So the concept of Messiah and Savior, okay, we read back into the prophets with the knowledge that comes to us post-Jesus and post the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So we need to give the Jews a bit of a break because they did not have the understanding of the prophets like we do, which means the concept of Messiah. They knew there was one who was coming who would save them, but I'm not sure that they fully understood that it was going to be God himself. Keep in mind Messiah, our word Messiah, really refers to the idea of the anointed one. David the, was a Moshiach. Right. The, the specially tasked, T-A-S-K-E-D, the specially tasked person from God who is going to come and do something very, very special and significant in an effort to save us. And what, sa what does save even mean? And that varied, and you get different glimpses of this in the prophets. And so they're all looking for somebody. And this is a great question that could be explored in depth another time all through the gospels. I know with my kids is their Bible quizzing this year out of Mark. They've asked me lots of questions. We've had some good discussion about this idea that even as an adult, Jesus is upsetting everybody. Correct. He's not doing what they expected. And he won't pick a side. He doesn't side with the scribes or with the Pharisees, or with the Sadducees, or with the Essenes, or with the Zealots, or the Herodians. He doesn't pick a side. He, he defies everyone's expectations of what they thought he was going to do. So we read the Gospels, and it's easy to read backwards and, and think, how did they not see that this guy was God? But on the flip side, I think coming forward, they're all wrestling with these internal questions about, is this the guy we're looking for? And they thought that and several before. Why is he acting this way? Why right. is he doing it like this? And they've thought that several before him were the Messiah as well. So it's not like they just got confused with Jesus. They've been confused all along because they're looking through a glass darkly, as Paul would put it. So we need to give them a break on this that they should have seen more clearly. Okay. So when you come to Elizabeth and Mary, um, for Mary, it's just this, why would he come this way, and why would he involve me? Mm -hmm. This is an awfully stiff price to pay, because she became ostracized to one extent or another for the rest of her life. She was known by those who wanted to as an impure, immoral woman, period. Um, 
And so I think the shock for Elizabeth and for Mary was not so much whether it was the Messiah or not, but it was more the unorthodox nature of the miracle. Mm-hmm. Well, and I believe specifically what the question is asking, it wasn't questioning their doubt or any of that. It was simply asking, okay, so they weren't expecting God. So what were they expecting since they were expecting someone of some kind and to it, come? And, and that's unclear to us. We just know that they had a lot of different expectations because they identified a lot of different people as Messiah. And again, it's it's fair because the term is not as specific as we have made it. It was broader. And that's why I cited, for instance, David was a Mashiach because he was anointed. High priests were Mashiachs because they were anointed. So it, literally the concept is broader than God used that broader concept to speak of his specific manifestation and coming as the messiah as the christ and with jesus as an adult later in the gospels you'll see that as he interacts with these different groups that i named they all have their own ideas about what this specially anointed person is going to be and what this person's going to do and quite frankly jesus didn't live up to anyone's expectations that's right even his own disciples that's right are following him and they're still not totally sure or convinced what's going on and what this guy is doing yeah i'd argue that judas betrays jesus probably on the premises of not doing what he expected and either he was disappointed and therefore betrayed him or he was actually trying to force his hand to do what judas wanted to have happen either way he wasn't living up to judas's expectations mm-hmm. all right vincent we're at 802 any any final lightning round questions you got to hit me with or have we we- uh, one that you can probably, I mean, it's straightforward enough. Uh, how and why did Jesus get pushed out of Christmas in favor of Santa, Rudolph, etc.? Oh, culture. Yeah. Human, human culture. It just, it just happens over time. And as you, as you have, of course, the story of, of, of Santa, it goes back to actually a Christian priest, St. Nicholas. I've been to his town, been to his church uh, in Turkey. And uh, he was just, he was a priest that did good for people that were down and out, etc. And, and from there, the concept got merged with several other pagan ideas and over time. So it's culture. The simple answer is culture. And culture is not all bad, but we must no. distinguish between culture and scripture and scripture. And so that's why, you know, I, I'm not against a lot of the elements of culture. I'm not telling you. And remember, we did Christmas Unwrapped. Uh, that was last December, last right? Yeah. yeah. And so go back and listen to that. It's not that all culture is wrong. You can't get rid of culture, but you can distinguish what is culture and what is actually scripture. And they are two very different things. Culture is opinion based. Scripture is God based. Yep. And that is all of them for tonight. All right. Good. So let me make a couple quick announcements just as we close it out. A reminder to our Newark family. And to those of you who may be visiting us for the first time online, I saw my neighbor just briefly make a comment. Hi, Tim. So if you are visiting with us, either for the first time or you don't typically visit with us, we want to welcome you to visit us at newarkupc.info. And you can find all kinds of information about what we're doing, about our small groups, our online activities. You can submit prayer requests, connect with some of our staff members, submit a baptism request, partner with us in giving. 
pretty much anything you want to do and get in contact with the church, you can do through newarcupc.info. Now, when you visit that website, and as a reminder to our church family, right now you're going to see up a card that says December Special Events. And you want to click on that in the next few days, because starting this Friday, just two days from now, we're going to have some really neat, fun, extra activities that we've got planned for the month of December. This Friday night, and none of it's secret. You can find all of it on the website. So this Friday night, we're going to do Mickey's Christmas Carol. We're going to do a watch party after our Friday Night with Friends broadcast. Saturday evening, there will not be a regularly scheduled broadcast because instead, we're going to take a caravan, not carpool, but a caravan up to Ur's Snack factory, potato chip factory up in Pennsylvania to go look at their Christmas light display. You can find all of the information on our church website. Once again, that's newarcupc.info. So we encourage you to go check that out, see those activities and join us as you're able. To the rest of you, God bless you. Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you once again tomorrow evening at 7 p.m. Good night, everybody.